Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, everybody, it's Joe Trippy, and welcome back to That Trippy Show. This week, we've got a special guest. I think you're really going to like this one. He's the former chief media correspondent at CNN, longtime host, Reliable Sources, Brian Stelter. And I've always been a reader and fan of the Reliable Sources newsletter that he launched. I woke up to that every day and really thought it was one of the most insightful things uh, out there. Still is. But he's got a new book out, Network of Lies. And it's about the, if you can't guess the network, the subhead is the epic saga of Fox News, Donald Trump, and the battle for American democracy. You know, after we talked to Stuart Stevens recently about propagandists, I thought Brian's book, I read it, and it, it hits the mark. It, I, I, the, the insight into what really happened at Fox and that it really is a propaganda machine makes it the best follow-up uh, interview I could think of. And by the way, it's a must-read book. We'll have a link in the show notes so you can buy it. And I would urge everybody, if you care about democracy, you care about where we're headed, there's a reason it's the battle for American democracy is in that subhead. Brian, welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you for the kind introduction. So Alex, where do you want to get started? Joe, I, you said the word propaganda. I think we should start there. Uh, it's like you said, it's what Stuart Stevens has said is critical to building that movement to thwart democracy and slide or push towards autocracy. You know, Brian, you call this out quite a bit in your book that Fox, and I'm just going to quote here that right-wing media, it's a propaganda machine and Tucker and Bartromo are the propagandists. How did this transformation happen or, or was Fox kind of always like this? Well, I think Fox was always a wing of the Republican Party, uh, maybe not always as directly as attached as it is now. But under Roger Ailes, uh, I think he viewed himself as a kingmaker, as someone who was helping to run and control the party, to direct the party, to redirect the party. Fox was very top-down, from Ailes down. Now, now it's the opposite. Now it's bottom-up. Now it's like the audience is in charge. And... Uh, the producers and the hosts are just trying to keep the audience hooked, keep the audience addicted, which does turn it more into an explicit form of propaganda. So, you know, Brian, as I read it, the fascinating thing to me is, you know, having been, I was at MSNBC when Carlson, when Tucker Carlson was in MSNBC. <laughs> yeah. I was at Fox when Tucker Carlson was not yet going on the, you know, in the eight o'clock hour. In fact, as I watched this slide at Fox more towards the cult-like, you know, Feeder of propaganda, I was, I'm like, I'm out of here, I'm leaving. And of course, Tucker, you know, basically starts to become, as you point out in the book, you know, the, the chief propagandist for, for Trump and, you know, where the mega cult was going and still is. I mean, it was such a sea change for me to watch Tucker go through that transformation. I mean, what's your take on how that happened? Or, uh, I mean, yeah. I think it's a very interesting first part of your book. He's getting high on his own supply. 
that's what happened. I, you know, people often ask me, does he believe what he's saying? Does he believe this extremist, sometimes misogynistic rhetoric? And uh, and the answer is yes. I don't think he started believing it. I don't think he started out believing 10 years ago, but I think he talked himself into believing. I think when you only watch these Fox shows, when you only read these right-wing websites, when you exist only in this echo chamber that tells you that the, the world's almost ending, it tells you this is a absolute crisis, that everything's gone to hell, that, you know, when, when you live in that environment and only in that environment, I think you actually come to believe it. You get high on your own supply. And I think that is a large a large part of explaining Tucker. The other piece, of course, is the commercial incentive structure. He was very keen about being the highest rated show. He wanted to beat Sean Hannity. He wanted to beat The Five, that 5 p.m. talk show they do. Uh, when there were times when his show would slip behind the 5 p.m. talk show, they would get flustered. The staff would get flustered. There was an edict at one point, we need more cute animal segments. Like, let's do whatever it takes, even clickbait, you know, to get the viewers uh, back right. to Tucker. I think Tucker was very determined to be on top and stay on top. And so there, the incentive structure there, of course, is, is all out of whack. The way to to win the ratings race at Fox is to be the most alarmist, uh, the the scariest, the shoutiest, perhaps the most rage-filled. And, and I think that definitely had a part, uh, part to play as well. So, and, and Joe, I'm curious for your, your take on this too, but you bring up the incentives, Brian, going back, and, and I know you cover this too, all the way to when Trump went down the elevator and how Fox has, has covered him. And I think Joe, at this point you were at CNN, but it, it, Brian, you point out it's, it's all about the ratings. It's all about the incentives. But the way they've yo-yoed on Trump is so interesting, right? First, they kind of dismissed him. Then when he he started gaining popularity, they fully embraced him. Then I think I want to say you – I don't know if you quoted this, but but when when they they declared him kind of an unperson for a little bit after January 6th, but now he's back again. So walk us through that. I, I'm just curious – curious as, as to kind of their evolution vis-a-vis -vis Trump too. Yeah, it's really like a rubber band. I think about Trump and Fox like a rubber band, and sometimes one side tries to pull apart, sometimes the other side tries to pull apart, but they always snap back together. And of course, I point out a rubber band can break. It will eventually break. This relationship will eventually break, but I don't see it breaking anytime soon. Uh, I think that there's, there's too much at stake. They share an audience. Trump and Fox share a base. You know, you might view them as a, a couple that gets separated that has to share custody of the kids, but it's a little more complicated than, than that. I think it is important to remember that in 2021, as you said, Rupert Murdoch emailed and said, we are busy making Trump a non-person. This was in the immediate wake of January 6th. He said, we are pivoting away from Trump. And Suzanne Scott, Fox News Media CEO, she reassured Rupert Murdoch. She said, even Sean is on board. She said, said, Sean Hannity wants to lead the 75 million away from Trump. You guys remember that month? I will never forget that month. Yeah. The insurrection, yeah. the impeachment, yeah. the inauguration. There was that moment where it felt like Trump was going to be excommunicated from public life. It really felt like, I mean, for all we knew, he was going to get 25th Amendment out of office before January 20th. There was that moment where it really felt like he was a goner and we were never going to hear from him again. And by the way, Rupert Murdoch, in his emails, that's what he's expecting. He's wishing for that. He, Rupert's enjoying this. He's, oh, Trump's businesses are now ruined. Who would ever have a party at Mar-a-Lago? And then, of course, you know, people start having parties at Mar-a-Lago again. And right. Bedminster has a live golf tournament. Tucker Carlson shows up. Something changed, right? But there was that moment. There was that moment. There was that window where there was going to be accountability uh, for what he did. And, um, and maybe there still will be with these trials. But 
it is remarkable that Fox has come so far back around to Trump, given where they were right after January 6th. So, you know, that's what's fascinating to me about the book. I mean, about how diligent you were about going through every every single email, every all the stuff that was revealed in the uh, the Dominion case in terms of all the the emails and things that you went through. Is there, is there any, you know, kind of like, you know, grabbed you and said, this is this is incredible to be, or, or was, it, was it just so much of it that astonished you? There's definitely a few quotes that stand out, uh, head and shoulders above the rest. But but that sense of volume, there are so many, that that is why I went over to my book agent and said, I've got to write this. Someone, I, said, I said, someone's going to got to write this book. You know, just because there are these emails and texts in, you know, documents at the court in Wilmington, Virginia, just because they're filed away in some database, they're not easy to find. They're not easy to digest. You know, even some of the, the great quotes in, in Network of Lies, they're nowhere on the internet. They're not Googleable because those yeah. court documents are not, you know, easy to access. So it's one thing for a public filing to happen, but in order to make it truly public, You've got to contextualize it. You've got to put it in chronological order. You've got to read through the messages and figure out the context. And that's really what I enjoyed doing uh, for this project. You know, there were messages where uh, Rupert Murdoch is uh, watching Rudy Giuliani uh, on television. He's so embarrassed for Rudy as the, what was that? Was that hair dye dripped down Rudy's face? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. Rupert sitting at home in, in the United Kingdom watching and saying, this is terrible stuff. It's damaging everybody. And I'm thinking to myself, then put a stop to it. You know, as you reconstruct the timeline, what you realize is that there were weeks, if not months, where management could have done more, where people could have stepped in, where hosts could have uh, done the responsible thing and not the uh, profitable thing. This wasn't just a week or two. You know, this wasn't just a show or two. This was a, a network wide. And, and when I say network of lies, this is about more than Fox. This really is a network that propagates lies. This was a really sustained effort that was in support of Trump's effort to overturn the election. So putting that all together was really uh, fascinating. But a couple of messages stand out. One is when Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson are chatting. And Tucker says, you know, Trump could have won if he had just run on a platform of opening the schools and law and order. And, and Laura sighs and says, you know, he's just always obsessed with a grievance loop all about him. And, and I realized, like, these, they know the truth. They get what Trump is. They understand he's a narcissist. They get it. They see what happened. They know he lost. They're saying all the right things. They're saying all the true things in private. Right. And of course, not in public. And, you know, I think there's also really important messages from producers, the, the folks we don't usually hear from at, tel at television networks, talking about ratings, talking about choices, editorial choices. And that's really revealing because I think the average reader, the average viewer doesn't really know how the, the programs are made, um, you know, doesn't know how those choices are made. So I think it's helpful to have that documented. No, I mean, I got it. I was astonished uh, at how you lay out with their own words, their own emails. From start to you know to to today, really, what how this all happened, and and to what level the lying and and the, I mean the truth that they were saying to each other, but the lies that they were telling uh, the audience. Well, it's a leadership story, right, Joe? It's a leadership story. It's about a lack of leadership. It's about a lack of uh, ethical leadership, where, where someone steps in and tries to. You know, what they do is they always whisper the truth and they shout the lie. And someone should have stepped yeah. in and, and tried to flip that around. Shipping can make or break a sale. So optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com 
and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. For our listeners who, again, I know this is not a visual medium, but you should see when, when Brian is saying how big the network is, his his, his hands are, are going, he's doing the mind blown sign. Which, so, so Joe and I were trying to figure out like, which quotes to include or which little little segments to include. And the, the reality is there's just too many. I'm just curious, and, and most of our listeners have heard Joe do the Fox echo, echo Chamber outrage machine. They're probably pretty familiar with the Dominion lawsuit. But but what, what would you pull besides – I thought the Ingram-Tucker one was good. What would you like – blow their minds with in terms of what what would surprise our listeners from the book? I think it would surprise your listeners that Rupert Murdoch, the 92-year-old media mogul, says Fox News is news. <laughs> he says it's not entertainment. He says under oath with Dominion, he says Fox has a responsibility to tell the truth even when its viewers don't want to hear it. He says it's not acceptable to bury the truth. He says this part amazed me. He says, people who still believe Trump won the 2020 election are, this is his quote, crazy. And I really appreciate those quotes because if we could just hold these people to what they say they believe to be true, if they could just take their own advice. You know, Rupert said to Suzanne Scott, February 5th, 2015, or sorry, 20, February 5th, 2021, he seems to be reacting to Marjorie Taylor Greene's ascendance as, you know, MTG just arrived in Congress. Rupert emails and says, Fox News and shows like Hannity should not champion public figures who appear to be mad, as in nuts. And he's rebuking MTG, saying, don't book these guests. Don't put these people on. And then in editorial meetings, Suzanne Scott says, let's focus on the facts, right? And Lachlan Murdoch says in his deposition, we never want to knowingly report a falsehood. Oh, here's the best one. Hannity's deposition. Hannity says, if you can't prove it, you better not say it. <laughs> and like, if, right. if we could just, if we could just hold these these men and women to the standards they themselves say we should set, and that's why the court system is so interesting. Because media reporters like yours truly, uh, commentators and talk show hosts and podcasters, none of us really have the ability to hold these people's feet to the fire to insist that they live up to the very words that I just read. But the courts can. And that's why these these cases are so interesting to me. Smartmatic is still pending against Fox. Dominion is suing Newsmax and lots of people. So these are really interesting ways to potentially hold folks accountable for defamation. You know, one of the, the scenes, though, that it's close to, you know, I've been there because I've been at CBS, Fox, MSNBC, and CNN, and I've worked with all those decision desks, all of them. And... You know, I got to just say, I, I always believed that the Fox decision desk was the best in the profession. I mean, Arnon, Michigan, Chris Steyerwalt and those guys. And so that, that whole thing that you go through in the, in, in the, in the book that kind of lays out that, that critical moment when Fox, you know, ticks off this entire audience because the decision desk, quote, makes the wrong call is just fascinating to me. And what, and 
And how leadership even handled all that was just incredible. Can you, what do you make of that? I mean, is this again the lack of leadership? Yeah, I think I came away from from this document dump, you know, going through this treasure trove of documents. I, I came away better understanding what happened after the Arizona call. The Arizona call happened thanks to the decision desk. You know, there's a debate to this day about whether it was premature, but it was true. They were right. They've they've been proven right over and over again. Arna Mishkin is the head of the decision desk, and he will be again in 2024, which is important, you know, to have a, a real professional in yeah. charge of the Fox decision desk, uh, a real pro, not some, you know, not some lightweight. The emails and texts show that Arnon's team actually really was uh, firewalled away, that they really did have editorial freedom, that Rupert and Laughlin were not interfering. Um, so it's important to have that on the record and to know that. But then once the call is made, the panic inside Fox is overwhelming. And, uh, you know, I wish I could interview Michigan about what, this, what it was like. You know, he understandably you know, isn't able to share uh, what it's like on the inside there. But you have these messages from anchors like Brett Baer, who are desperately trying to get out of this conundrum that has been mm -hmm. put in front of them, that Fox is now putting Biden on the cusp of becoming president-elect. The other networks have not called Arizona yet. So Fox is kind of alone, just Fox and the AP, I mean, making this, this statement and the viewers are furious. You know, the viewers are are are, are uh, trolling on social media, sending harassing emails, complaining at, at all hours, and and also you know turning off the channel. The, they could feel it day by day in the ratings uh, that the viewers were were upset. So what do they do? Well, they they wonder if they can take it back, put Arizona back in in undecided, or give it to Trump, which is crazy. But you know, there's all of these attempts to figure out what can we do uh, to placate the audience. And uh, that just goes to show that deep down inside, it's not a journalism outfit. I know people know that, but because there are journalists at Fox, you know, it's an interesting tug of war. I find interesting, at least, to study. The tug of war always ends with the opinion people winning, you know, the propaganda is winning and the journalists losing. So someone like Arna Mishkin is there and tells the truth, but then the truth is overwhelmed by the shouting and the noise and the lies. You know, this is going to maybe stun people, but when I was there, I always thought that Ailes, basically that fight between the news division and the opinion folks, it's, it was, they, they all hated each other's guts. I don't mean that, you know, the, the opinion folks, if we could get rid of these st straight news people, we'd be the greatest propaganda network in the world. We would control everything. And the, the news guys, <laughs> got, we could get rid of these crazy opinion people. We would be the best news division. You know, it, it was, and what would happen is, you know, you'd get on a show and the opinion, you know, Sean or somebody would beat the living daylights out of you. And, and Ailes would reach out and say, no more of that. You know, not, don't treat Trippy that way or whoever the, you know, he, oh. he actually mm -hmm. was in a weird way would guidepost and put up guardrails that actually protected the, the news. I mean, you know, protected in that fight even when it got out of hand. And that's why one of the things that I thought the second when he left in the the Gretchen Carlson thing was that, oh man, no one's going to be able to stop the opinion people from killing all the news pe people. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was like, I couldn't get out the door fast enough. I mean, I don't know if that makes any it sense does. to it you. It makes total uh, sense to me because that's what I've heard from others as well. I, you know, I described Chris Wallace leaving Fox. He just couldn't take it anymore. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like people purge themselves as the thing becomes more extreme. You know, the moderates purge themselves, yeah. they, they escape. Uh, it's happened over and over again at Fox. And it's also what's happening to the Republican Party. You know, this is a party that 
does not have the relationship with facts and reality that that it had 20 years ago. All, I'm not trying to paper over the flaws of 20 to 30 years ago, uh, but you know, I had a Fox host say to me in a very sad moment, she said, we've turned our audience, Ronald Reagan Republicans, we've turned them into extremists. And this person felt a lot of regret about what's happened. But it's it's also what's happened to the party, you know? It's it's happening, I guess, simultaneously to both because they are both so connected or interconnected. Well, like you point out, though, I mean, it, it isn't just Fox. I mean, it's entire propaganda network of liars, um, all, I mean, out there beyond Fox. I mean, I'm talking about the the Alex Joneses. I mean, just this like they, they all feeds on each other, often from the brain room or whatever the the factoid came up to get, you know, to start spreading. But, you know, I, I was trying to get to, you know, what, when we got to the afterward of your book, where you start talking about how do you, you know, how do we, how do you, how do you start? I, I, I'll put it this way. I think the, the, the journalists out there have a hard time fighting propaganda because they don't see it that way. I mean, if you look at the New York Times and the Washington Post uh, coverage of the vermin comments by Trump, uh, you know, recently, I think the Times covered it more like, like, you know, it was straight up. He went, a di he took a different direction or something. The Post finally says. He's, Fascist. He, yeah. He, he, and he, by he, the way, it was really nice of him to do this right as you've released this book, Brian. I mean, the timing's great for you, right? There's there's nothing there's nothing great about a former president declaring war on the vermin left that he's going to destroy. <laughs> no, no, but I mean, but but my point is, we're finally one of the things I think we've got to do, which you do in the book, is start using the word propaganda, propagandist, and start to like really call this stuff out. And and also and also what, the word fascist. Uh, you know, I, yes. I, I was struggling with this when I was on CNN earlier in the week talking about the vermin comments and. And let's recognize he, he used that word, uh, you know, straight out of Hitler's playbook while at a Veterans Day speech. His point was, we're yeah. going to honor our veterans by getting rid of the vermin that are hurting our country. I mean, it, it was it was twisted beyond belief. And I found myself on CNN wondering, OK, should I say this word? Like, should I? I mean, this. Yeah, I, I'm sure you've had that same kind of moment. Uh, you know, historically, fascism you know, is referring to an expansionist, you know, war, uh, you know, a wartime approach, you know, a leader trying to seize land and more power. It, it, Trump's different. You know, uh, he's an isolationist, but he's an isolationist fascist with this rhetoric. And uh, honestly, I think the media has got a lot of educating to do in the next 12 months. The, the public needs to know the history here. It's almost as if fact checks, you know, we talk about fact checking a lot during the Trump era. Yeah. More about reality checking and history checking. We, we've got to see more historians on the airwaves to explain what this is about. Because it's it's now, it, well, like you said, it's Fox is now basically just serving the audience. The audience is in charge and he keeps feeding it. And then you've got others outside in that propaganda network that are feeding it and feeding it and making it hotter. And I just think we're all ill-prepared. I mean, because of... yeah. The inability to understand completely what we're up against, that this is not, you know, it's not another party. This isn't just another party. Fox is not another, isn't right-wing media. It's, it's, it's gotten beyond that now. And so I do, I did want to, uh, I know that uh, in the afterward, you get to a lot of points that you think, hey, you know, here are some things we can, we can do to start combating this. But like you said, we've only got 12 months. Uh, to try to 
to knock some of a lot of those things like uh, you know the James Lachlan fight for right, the, future the future of Fox. Fox that's, you know, yeah, the, yeah, it's it's not going to happen in time. Uh, I don't think so. I w- wanted to get your take on that. I tried to offer some some positive and optimistic uh, uh, points at the end because. Uh, I, I look around and I, I you know, <laughs> uh, I, I try to be an optimistic guy in general. And so where do I see some hopeful signs? I see people like Geraldo Rivera, who used to work at Fox, speaking out and trying to tell people what it's really like. I, I see groups like Better Angels and More in Common who are trying to foster civic dialogue to draw us away from the, the food fights uh, of uh, left and right and, and, and partisan media. And, and, and by the way, I hate even saying that because even that's so unfair. It's such a false equivalence. You know, the, the, the behavior yeah. of a Fox star with ugly name calling, personal insults and targeting of random individuals who post TikTok videos like that is so different from what happens in, in other parts of partisan media. But, you know, you know, the broader point there, how, how do we have civic conversations uh, in order to replace some of the vitriol that's happening on the places like Fox. You know, those groups are, are worthwhile and deserve attention and deserve support. Uh, I also look around and I and I see a younger generation that is at least a little bit more media savvy uh, and, and doesn't seem to be falling for the, some of the old tricks. You know, uh, you know, I, I think that that sometimes gives me hope. But look, I, I do think we're in an environment that um, requires a lot of media criticism and media scrutiny of the of the rest of the news media, right? Of the of the non-Fox, non-network of lies environment. The non-Fox media, as we head into an election cycle, has to find ways to be louder than the liars. We have to be louder than the liars. And as you said, Joe, that's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for journalists to think that their role is to beat uh, propaganda, to to fight against propaganda. But if you if you view your role in the world as making sense of the world for people, figuring out what is true and what is not true, delineating between what is true and not true, then you are battling propaganda. That is what you, a part of what you are doing. If you feel your role is to equip people to figure out not who to vote for, but how to vote, whether to vote, and, and what, what priorities, what, 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 what the policy visions are, then, then you are going to have to be louder than the liars. And it is an incredibly uncomfortable uh, dynamic you know, for, for many journalists to face. But I don't know any other way. I think that's the title of the show. We're going to call this <laughs> "Got to Get Louder Than the Liars." And I don't know, you know. But here's the here's the and I and I really like the phrase, and I'm glad you like the phrase. Here's why yeah. I also wrestle with it a little bit. No matter how loud I get, no matter how loud, loud you get, will will any will any uh, Trump hat wearing supporter hear us? <laughs> right? Like David Muir reaches nine million viewers a night on ABC, and Lester Holt reaches seven million on NBC, and CBN, you know, yada yada yada. But will any of that real news coverage break through to the Trump to the Trump radicalized base, or does it not matter if it does because that's a minority? Well, I, I think if the answer to the first thing is no. I doubt seriously, at least in the early stages, and I mean I'm talking about the next year. No, we're not going to reach many of them. I do think I saw your uh, interview on CNN. I think you're right that we, one of the things we can all do is, is talk to people we haven't spoken, that we stop talking to because they're in part of the Trump thing. I mean, like have conversations with them and not be combative, but try to, to actually enter, just enter into the, to de-isolating them, in, into talking about uh, about what's going on and and I like that uh, word de-isolate. That's an interesting word, de-isolate. Yeah. How do we try yeah. to? Yeah. Well, if each other one of us de-isolates one person, that's it. I mean, just go out and try to to talk. You know, 
to, you know, you know, can you do that? I think that, and I do think that gets into what you're saying about those groups out there that are trying to encourage that. I mean, I think we could de hopefully de-isolate a few million people between now and the election by doing it one-on-one -on -one with somebody who was a dear friend, but we just stopped talking to them because we couldn't take it anymore. And they, we, you know, <laughs> we thought they were crazy. They probably thought we were crazy, but at some level, I think we might be able to, to reconnect. I don't know. I mean, that's one of the things I think that that I have saw you talk a well, little bit about, but I think that's right. Well, I was looking at uh, one of Trump's latest true social posts where he says that Andrew Weissman and Jack Smith and Lisa Monaco are going to be in a mental institution during a second Trump term. Yeah. And you could read that as a claim that they're insane, or you could read it as a threat to imprison them uh, and, 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 and a statement of fact that it will happen if he's reelected. I, I live in a, a wonderful, pretty red town um, in the middle of a red county in a blue state I, of New Jersey. I don't think most of my neighbors want Jack Smith imprisoned or put in a mental hospital. Like, I don't think they don't know. Yes. It, by the way, they don't know who Lisa Monaco is. So I, right. I guess well, to the, who to, Jack Smith is. Yeah. yeah. So to, to the extent right. that we can talk about these things more candidly is like I right. I. I guess I'm worried that Trump's radicalism and, and his his extreme threats about taking power again, you know, I actually don't think that's obviously when when faced with a ballot box and looking at Biden's name versus Trump's, those folks are going to choose Trump, but they're not choosing Trump's agenda. Now, they may end up causing right. it to come into effect, but you know what I'm saying? We have to figure out ways to separate right. the, the, the candidate and the extremism from the voters. Well, the other thing is they, they uh, uh, the whole nation still still suffers, and as far as I'm concerned, way, way too many, many Americans suffer from the it can't happen here, normalcy bias, that, that, that yeah, this is America, that's never going to happen. He's never going to round people up and put them in, you know, mental institutions or any of that. It just, you know, it's like they don't take it seriously enough, uh, which, of course, is how it all ha starts to happen. But the one thing to answer your question, so I don't think that um, we can get through to many of them, but I think we can one-on-one. -on -one. But I also, to, to get to your second point, they are a minority. They really are. So I, I think what happens is he's creating a, you know, a stronger connection with that MAGA base and, and, you know, and stoking them with fear and, and the other and all that, and that he will get their revenge for them and round us up or whatever. You know, all that stuff does, I think, probably reinforce the base. But I think that when we do, it, when we get louder than the liars, uh, and the reason I like that phrase is because I think getting louder than the liars helps the rest of the country th that isn't a majority, that doesn't want this stuff, I mean, that would uh, recoil at what you're talking about uh, that you, in that red uh, area you live in in Jersey would never, that they don't want to see that. Uh, they didn't sign up for that. I think the louder we get over their lying, the better chance we have of moving some of those people away from him uh, for for different reasons. So mm. I, I I I do like that. I I I do think that's a a, a good thing to to be saying. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges in the next twelve months, and there's many, but one of the biggest challenges is the network of lies media, the Fox kind of en entities. They are not going to highlight uh, what Trump is actually promising to do. They are not going to point out the vermin quote, for example. And then on top of that, I looked at the broadcast network morning shows on Monday. I might have missed it, but I'm pretty sure they didn't highlight that quote either. So we have a kind of a, it won't get through to MAGA media, 
but it, that that's going to make it even more important that, that the reality of the situation gets through to the rest of the country, to the rest of the media. But I think that's because that, that, that discomfort with, with calling it what it is, with dealing with it, it's easier just not to cover it or ignore it than it is to take the, or what I think they would view as risk of, you know, of saying it's fascism, saying it's propaganda, saying, you know, the, you know, that, that this shouldn't happen at a Veterans Day event. You know, I mean, it's, the, yep. there's a, uh, it's right. because that implies taking a side. That's right. That's right. If this shouldn't happen at a Veterans Day event, your, your, your morning show just, just took a side. Yep. And I think we're, the, that's the part of it, because journalists have been trained and retrained and trained and trained and drilled into not taking sides. And, you know, they're, no, this is, you know, a, a fascist autocracy movement, you know, or whatever you want to call it, but it's not, this isn't, th there's no two sides about it. In fact, you'd think that the press would get that because if this succeeds there, and he really uh, follows through on this stuff, it's, it's the press, it's freedom of the press. It's going to be among the first things that, that, that suffer. But of course, that can't happen in America because we have freedom of the press. It's a, <laughs> it's a really... You know, this is, I mean, it's, it's really tough to see, except getting louder than the liars, if there's enough of us to do that, and maybe that'll encourage some of these shows to start covering this more in that vein. And let me give credit to John Carl at ABC, because it looks like he did mention the vermin comment on GMA. So I, I do give credit for that on, on Monday morning this week. Uh, he's out with another book uh, about this topic, uh, Tired of Winning. He and I are coming out on the, the same week. Uh, and, and so he did bring it up. And ha these things have to be brought up, because I think America is suffering a kind of memory loss. And maybe it's intentional, not wanting to remember some of the traumas of 2017 to 2020. Uh, but I, I am somewhat hopeful that once we are deeper into an actual primary season and definitely into a general, that those memories are going to be dredged up, that it will be impossible to have that memory loss. Well, but I also think that gets to your point of maybe putting more historians on the air, you know, as a way for the news. I mean, because that lets you address some of this propaganda. I mean, in a, in a, in a, you know, put it in a historical context yeah. that you're not taking sides, you're just informing, you're educating people about right. uh, about what, what's happening. Uh, so I, I think that's a good point. Well, guys, that's a probably really good place to end today. I'm glad we ended on a bit more of a positive note. Awesome. Uh, it was well, great talking with you guys. No, great talking to you, Brian. Thanks for coming on. And thanks, everyone, for listening to That Trippy Show. Brian, where should folks uh, look for you and your book? We'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, uh, where else can they find you? Thank you. Yeah, networkoflies.com for the book. Uh, I'm a host a weekly, I host a weekly podcast for Vanity Fair called Inside the Hive. So you can find me there every Thursday. Of course. You know, and, and I would advise you to listen to the Hive and uh, definitely uh, get this book. I mean, it really, the research, the way it's all connected and, and a lot of dots are connected in their own emails uh, and put in order, I mean, in a, it, in a way that just, it reads like a, a I don't know how to say it. It's just it's it it reads like a blow by blow narrative of how this all happened and where and what was going on on inside Fox at really big moments where they could have made a different decision but didn't didn't do it. Do you ever read those in the Tom Clancy books where he does like 200 pages on like a war and it's like really 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 detailed and you're like how does he get all those details? Brian, that is what I think this is. That's the best review I've received. Thank you, Alex. No, but it really is. It reads like that, and uh, you won't be disappointed if you if you rush out and get a copy of it. 
Thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll always be free with support from our advertisers. This podcast is part of Resolute Square. Check out the latest at resolutesquare.com slash trippy. Please subscribe to that trippy show and leave a review on Apple or wherever you listen. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Brian, for joining us. Thank you.